Greetings to all my fellow 101 podcast listeners out there. Happy Friday to all of you, wherever you may live, whether it's in the United States or elsewhere around the world. But for some of you, wherever you may reside in the world, it, it already is Saturday. So regardless, um, greetings to all of you, my fellow 101 podcast listeners, or I should say my fellow 101 faithful podcast listeners, because so many of you have been ardent and faithful uh, listeners to everything that I have um, presented before all of you uh, since uh, June of last year when I first uh, began uh, my new uh, hobby that still uh, resonates with me to this day. Well, it wasn't that long ago that we had just uh, finished another uh, series being uh, The War of 1812 in Wisconsin, The Battle for Prairie du Chien by Mary Elise Antoine. And that was a great series. And now our time machine is going to be uh, taking us to something even, um, I don't know if I'd say grander is the word, but something else that's um, going to be um, worth uh, learning about. So our next book topic discussion will take us into the halfway point of the 20th century. Well, when we think of the halfway point of the 20th century, to me that would um, be about 1950. Starting around 1950 and onward would be the halfway point of the uh, 20th century. In, in my opinion, that would be. You know, uh, the 1950s brought its share of thrilling entertainment into people's homes via television. This is for America, I should say. Uh, when I think of uh, thrilling entertainment, how about um, how about uh, TV shows? Uh, like, for example, in 1952, it would last for 37 years from 1952 to 1989, um, American Bandstand, hosted by um, Dick Clark. But then you had other uh, TV shows that... Um, made their um, ways into people's homes, like I Love Lucy, to um, other um, shows that, um, for my parents' generation, that were uh, very popular um, and so forth, that uh, basically um, drew families together, because after all, during the 1950s, you only had three television stations, so when you watched something that was... Um, how do you call it? That was a, a thrilling form of entertainment that was uh, nonviolent, obviously, then yes, that would definitely have brought uh, people together. For all of the um, excitement that the television uh, brought to um, Americans in the at the start of the 1950s and going forward, for all that exciting entertainment that was brought before people on the big screen, the decade itself in America was also beset by a, a continuous uphill battle for civil rights equality. Well, we don't have that far to look when we uh, consider what the United States Supreme Court uh, ruled upon in their landmark uh, decision involving Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954, where the High Court ruled nine to nothing basically overturning a um, 
a case that had been that had set the um, hallmark for what was labeled separate but equal facilities for nearly 60 years leading up to 1954 being Plessy versus Ferguson. But Brown versus the Board of Education, um, for all that, for all the success that the uh, United States Supreme Court was able to um, rule in favor of uh, Linda Brown and her family, nine to nothing, basically saying that segregation was inherently unconstitutional in all aspects of life. Even that landmark decision was not enough to um, abolish or do away with all the other um, problems most notably in the uh, Deep South. And then three years later, in 1957, you have uh, President Dwight Eisenhower's um, signing of the Civil Rights Act of 1957, which was a precursor to what would come seven years later in 1964. And yet during the 1950s, you have um, people taking a stand for all the right reasons. I mean, we have... Rosa Parks, uh, who went above and beyond to stand up for what she believed in that was not fair in terms of what was on the law books, and yet she uh, made the ultimate sacrifice by taking a stand and saying that, you know, look, I've, I'm not going to give up um, my uh, seat in front of the bus. I don't believe that this is fair. So the 1950s, yes, are a time of, um, in some instances, were a time of peace, but at the same time, they were also moments of um, moments of uh, tense situations. So it's fair to say that any decade is one that has seen its share of good things and perhaps seen its share of not so good things. So. The 1950s, I can also say, were no strangers to national news, for better or worse. So our time machine will take us into the year 1958. Okay, what was uh, significant about 1958? Well, how ironic that, um, that what I have found to be significant about 1958 is what we are going to be discussing in this um podcast series. So the focal point behind what we what we'll be discussing about has to do with a particular date being that of November 18, 1958, involving a 623-foot limestone carrier which got entangled in a ferocious storm off Lake Michigan. Why should we be discussing about a 623-foot limestone carrier who got swept, who got entangled in such a ferocious storm off Lake Michigan? Well, isn't Lake Michigan one of our uh, five Great Lakes? Sure. Lake Michigan, um, is it fair to say that Lake Michigan is the only one of our, is the only one of, of the United States' is, um, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't say the United States. After all, Canada and the United States both equally share a majority of the Great Lakes, with the exception of one, Lake Michigan. How so? Well, Lake Michigan is the only lake that is the only one of the five Great Lakes that don't touch Canada, so it's strictly confined to the United States. 
So, you know, let's take this into consideration, folks. The Great Lakes, all five Great Lakes, account for about 20% of the world's uh, freshwater supply. If you took Lakes Michigan, Huron, Ontario, and Erie, they could all fit into Lake Superior. That's how big Lake Superior is. After all, Lake Superior is the largest of the five Great Lakes. But what I find interesting when it comes to November is that November and the Great Lakes have a lot of um, have a lot of things in common. It's not so much a month and it's not so much bodies of water. But what exactly makes the month of November along the Great Lakes waters challenging to define? Anybody want to take a guess? The answer would be the weather. I could um, spend hours on hours talking about why the weather, in my opinion, is what makes the month of November along the Great, along Great Lakes waters challenging to, to define. But I can go about simplifying it here in our introduction to what we're going to be uh, discussing. For starters, November alone is the number one month which has claimed responsibility in the overall number of ships lost throughout all five Great Lakes, where countless men's lives have been taken. But Mother Nature herself is a force to reckon with along Great Lakes waters, because in November, nothing is ever certain. Why is it fair to say that in November, nothing is ever certain? Well, you know, Mother Nature herself can never be underestimated. But yet, at the same time, no matter how sophisticated our technology may be, in terms of uh, trying to modify the unexpected from happening, no matter how hard we as humans try to modify the unexpected, Mother Nature will always be one step ahead. Mother Nature will always find a way to prevail. So when it comes to uh, nothing and when it comes to nothing being ever certain or nothing is ever certain, in November along the Great Lakes, it's the weather. You know, the morning can be just fine. Perhaps the temperature could be a few degrees uh, warmer than it should be. But then again, is it fair to say that the winds out of a particular direction can come up out of nowhere? Is it fair to say that when the skies of November turn gloomy, that if the conditions are right, and all of nature's elements in the sky, perhaps warm and cold air colliding together, that you could have something colossal. What I mean by colossal is something really large, something so unrealistic, but yet, but yet is occurring right in your own front eyes. Something so um, super, something so super, something so unheard of to where when it happens it's it's almost like you've been caught caught so off guard that you have no way to uh, prepare for it well the great lakes are no strangers to unexpected um, 
storms. And what I mean by storms is snowstorms with um, freezing rain, with, you know, with howling winds to the point where even the smallest boats are not immune from, uh, from ferocious winds. You know, canoes being out on the lakes. You get 25 mile an hour winds, and those wind speeds are just right, and the waves start um, getting higher and higher. Yeah, they'll turn that canoe right over. They'll turn any small boat over. And you know what? If you think that's um, that doesn't come as a surprise or shockingly or shocking to the point where it does happen, well, even Mother Nature can throw curveballs at freighters. Even a 623-foot limestone carrier um, was caught off guard. You know, um, it wouldn't be till years later, just shy of 20 years after 1958, that another ship would um, be um, caught in the um, caught in the throes of November, or in other words, in the throes of November's wrath. Matter of fact, we talked about this book um, a year ago. For those of you who were listening then and still are right now, matter of fact, um, do you all remember the book, The Wreck of the um, the Mighty Fitz, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald? Well, the Edmund Fitzgerald and this um, ship that we will be talking about, this uh, 623-foot um, limestone carrier, which does have a name, and I'll get to her name here shortly, these ships do have something in common when it comes to November. But then again, there were a lot of ships throughout the history of the Great Lakes in November who either survived and that didn't survive all had stories to tell, for better or for worse. Because in the month of November, there's no guarantee that anyone who goes out on the waters of the Great Lakes, will come home alive. So, you know, what if you're going out in the morning to deliver cargo somewhere along the Great Lakes, your weather is fine. It may look fine. But come later in the day, when the skies of November turn gloomy, nothing is ever certain. And when those skies of November turn gloomy, how long will they stay gloomy? And once the skies are no longer gloomy, do you have a crew intact? Do you have some crewmen who survive? Or do you have some who didn't survive? Or do you have more deaths than survivors? These are the, these are the questions. These are the questions that almost try men's souls on the on all five Great Lakes. Maybe it's fair to say that these questions or these what-ifs are also an example to survival of the fittest. Perhaps being on the Great Lakes, Great Lakes waters, is what separates boys from men. The town at the epicenter in Michael Schumacher's wreck of the Carl D. Bradley, a true story of loss, survival, and rescue at sea is Rogers City, Michigan. You know, when I think of Michigan, 
I tend to think of Lansing, Michigan's capital. I tend to think of Detroit. I tend to think of Flint and Grand Rapids. I think it's fair to say most people, when they think of Michigan, tend to think of those places. Rogers City is located in Michigan's mainland, but well north of larger cities like Lansing, Ann Arbor, Detroit, Flint, Grand Rapids. But ironically, Rogers City isn't located too terribly far away from the Straits of Mackinac, which are responsible for connecting Michigan's upper and lower peninsulas via the Mackinac Bridge. The Straits of Mackinac are also responsible for connecting Lakes Michigan and Huron. The Straits of Mackinac, folks, it's probably fair to say, are a force to reckon with. Without the Straits of Mackinac, not just the Straits of Mackinac, but I'm not sure how else you would be able to go about connecting the mainland to the UP or the Upper Peninsula. At one time, there really was no way to, to uh, connect the Upper Peninsula to the mainland of Michigan. As a matter of fact, there were many in Michigan who thought the Upper Peninsula was, wasn't the best investment. After all, the Upper Peninsula was given to Michigan as a means of resolving a conflict that had been in, in um, that had been had existed for years, from the early start of the 19th century up until about uh, the early 1830s. Matter of fact, I read a book on it a few years back called the Toledo War, that basically involved um, a fight between Ohio and what was then the Michigan Territory over the Toledo Strip as to which state really had control over it. Well, in the end, it was finally decided that Ohio was the one that controlled the Toledo Strip on the northwest part of the state. But, believe it or not, folks, Ohio and Michigan almost did go to war over who controlled that strip of land. And we do forget that many of our states that were admitted into the Union probably did not have an easy admittance. In other words, People just didn't look to the map, look at a map and say, oh, we're just going to fit this little piece, like a puzzle piece right here and say, hey, this is the state of Michigan. No, Michigan, along with Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, were still, they still had not achieved statehood. Ohio had in 1803, but they were still a part of that large Northwest Territory. And Michigan was a huge um, prize in terms of um, not only becoming a state, but how Michigan's Upper Peninsula would be seen as something very, very vital, not only in connecting that uh, stretch of uh, territory to the mainland, but also for, um, for commercial purposes and transporting goods along the Great Lakes. So, Tuesday, November 18th, 1958. Let's try to envision what 1958 could possibly look like in our eyes. I know for, for one thing, in 1958 there was no such thing as Amazon. It's also fair to say that the only people who had access to the internet in 1958, if, even if that was remotely the case, were um, government officials. 
1958, uh, we're starting to see um, we're starting to see uh, the interstates being built. Part of a piece of legislation that had been enacted two years later, uh, basically uh, referred to as the Interstate Highway Act. Dwight Eisenhower, or I should say President Dwight Eisenhower, in, came up with the idea of an interstate system based upon what he had um, seen in Germany during World War II. The interstates were needed as a means of, uh, connecting, of, of connecting the United States at a greater, um, on a greater national scale that would have been used uh, as a means not only for travel purposes, but as a means of uh, national security. After all, in 1958, folks, for those of you who are millennials who are listening, I'm sure you all have heard of the Cold War, but in 1958, the Cold War was still going strong. It would be at least another 30 years at best before the Cold War really came to an end. But in 1958, there still is a Cold War. And tensions between America and the Soviet Union are still very, very high. So as for Tuesday, November 18, 1958, let's picture as if we are in Rogers City, Michigan. Strong winds from the southwest come crashing and leading to falling temperatures. So did you hear that, folks? Our weather forecast right now reports strong winds from the southwest coming, come crashing in, leading to a drastic drop in temperatures. The sudden change in weather for mid-November to some of Rogers City's residents is nothing new considering the weather forecast now indicates more colder temperatures with greater snow chances. Outdoor recreation has become a great haven, not just for Rogers City's residents, but also for those people in Michigan whom live well to the south, okay? If you live well south of Rogers City, that can mean like Detroit, Detroit, uh, Flint, um, Lansing, uh, Kalamazoo, uh, St. Joseph, Michigan. You know, the further south you go into Michigan, you get closer into Ohio and Indiana. So, Yes, outdoor recreation has become a big haven, not just for Rogers City's residents, but for those people in Michigan whom live well to the south, where come summertime, they journey northward to escape the hustling and bustling of city life. In other words, they want to get away from all the hustle and bustle of Detroit, Grand Rapids, Flint. Rogers City is no stranger to waters, considering the town itself has Lake Huron, for its northern boundary. Mid-November is still considered hunting season, most notably for deer, and the hunters themselves know just how unpredictable Mother Nature herself can be, especially as November 18, 1958, started out being warmer than average. In other words, the temperature by late morning, early afternoon, had reached 66 degrees. But now, come later in the day, about midday, all that's changing. 
as the day continues to progress forward with uncertainty. Uncertainty being the weather. You know, we're starting to see some changes. The bigger question is, is how much, you know, how much more drastic will these uh, weather changes become? And the more drastic they become, yes, it might put some people on pins and needles because they don't know sometimes what curveballs Mother Nature is going to throw. I mean, yes, they've, they've seen snow in mid-November. But at the same time, you know, yeah, you could see a few inches of snow on a particular day. But seeing a foot of snow or more, now that might be a little bit more alarming. Rogers City, come 1958, has a population just shy of 4,000 people. The Michigan Limestone and Chemical Company, a division of U.S. Steel Corporation, along with Bradley Transportation Company, serve as Rogers City's largest employers. Okay, I think that should tell us right there. A Limestone Chemical Company, which is a division of the U.S. Steel Corporation, a transportation company. This, to me, folks, would mean that if companies like these that are serving as Rogers City's largest employers, it's fair to say that they would be involved in um, transportation. Transportation of what? Natural resources. It also helped knowing that the world's largest, do you hear that folks? The world's largest open pit limestone quarry, being the port of Calcite, was located nearby, but still remains to this present day as the largest shipping port on the Great Lakes. Even 63 years later, folks, the port of Calcite is still making its presence known. The quarry employed large numbers of people to where just about everyone in Rogers City was connected to one another through the business behind extracting limestone. Once a young man graduates from City High in Rogers City, he has two choices for where his future could take him. He either worked at the Michigan Limestone and Chemical Company or chose to go sailing on the boats. Now, I'm not talking to go sailing on the boats for leisurely purposes. No. When you go sailing on the boats, it's really another way of saying that Johnny is going sailing on the freighters. He is a part of a larger team that will be navigating the Great Lakes waters via transporting goods from, a, from one port to another uh, industrial hub. Mid-November also means that the shipping season along the Great Lakes waters is coming to a near end, considering Thanksgiving of 1958, or rather Thanksgiving Day of 1958, will be just nine days away. So if our focus is on a particular date of November 18th, Thanksgiving Day in 1958 being nine days away would be November 27th. As the shipping season is nearing its close, all the men whom work aboard the boats will be returning home to spend much needed time with their families. Very few people in Rogers City come mid-November are worried just yet 
about the incoming changes Mother Nature has in store. But then again, nothing weather-wise has changed for the worse. In other words, they know, you know, people in Rogers City aren't naive. They know that things can happen. But sometimes it's fair to say that even her people, Roger, people in Rogers City, are smart enough to know that even they don't have the power to control what Mother Nature will have in store. Anybody who lives on the Great Lakes waters or the waters of the Great Lakes should, should know that, hey, if you're li it's one thing to live near the water, but sometimes you may have to live in the water depending on how bad a storm comes through. And when that storm does come through, can you live to tell the story? Some people can and other people can't. By 1958, the Bradley Transportation Company has nine boats whom haul limestone. Nine boats, folks. Is it fair to say that there are plenty of other shipping companies that do their fair share of business along the Great Lakes? Absolutely. So each shipping company that has ties to the Great Lakes does have its share of personal perks or AKA advantages. But the Bradley Company was different because all their boats picked up a majority of the limestone from the Michigan lime plant. Why is that so unique and special? Well, this meant that the Bradley boats would come home more often, whereas boats from other companies would be gone for weeks on end without any definitive date set on returning home. So if you are picking up all your limestone from one company, a company that employs hundreds or let alone maybe close to a thousand people or more in your own hometown, why not stick why not stick to your roots? In other words, benefit the people whom are working near you. They're the ones doing I mean they're the ones doing all that extracting. They're the ones that are crushing the limestone. They're the ones um, you know, going above and beyond to uh, ensure that, uh, that, that once the goods are ready to go to be shipped out, that they too will be able to reap in some kind of um, profit for their work in the same manner that the uh, people on the boat are, on the boats are doing by uh, transporting the good or the, pro the finished product via water from, um, from a plant facility being that of... Uh, the port of calcite and taking it to a, a midwest industrial hub perhaps like chicago indiana i mean chicago illinois pardon me <laughs> gary indiana um maybe um somewhere you know just to name a few uh places that are um what do you call um vital uh hubs for uh, commercial navigation purposes time off uh from working on Great Lakes waters was something that all sailors cherished. Whether it was just for part of a day to more than one day, sailors and their families made the most of their time spent together. And if you are a part of the Bradley Transportation Company as a sailor, you know that you are going to have your time cut out to be with your family. If you are married and, and 
you know, whether you are married without children or with children, you are, you are insured that you'll have equal opportunities to have time off to be with, uh, with your loved ones. And how ironic that, that Michael Schumacher has pointed out that, um, that it was more, very common for, um, for this boat, the Carl D. Bradley, to take a port of, um, to take a um, load of limestone from the port of Calcite and take it on southward to Gary, Indiana, and then make its way back north to pick up a, to pick up some other material and send it to um, somewhere else in Michigan, like Charlevoix or maybe Traverse City, and then after doing that assignment, they would be back in a day, a day later, they would be back home in Rogers city and would be able to uh, have a day or two at best to be with their families before doing another run. You know, each shipping company has its own policies. Each shipping company does things a bit differently, but if I were alive back then and, and I didn't know anything better and wanted to uh, work on the Great Lakes. And if I lived in Michigan, where would I want to work? For the Bradley Transportation Company. Knowing that, okay, if I were to become a sailor, whether, you know, whether I was married or not, knowing that I could just have, I would be able to have enough time off to spend with uh, friends and loved ones. Yeah, to me, that would be a big deal. Knowing not just that, but knowing that, that the majority of our uh, goods were picked up from the local plant. We didn't have to go a hundred miles or more just for the nearest uh, facility in terms of uh, picking up uh, goods and shipping them to an industrial hub. Tuesday, November 18th, 1958 was Cecilia Krawchak's birthday. I know many of you all probably don't even know who this person is. I didn't even know about this person until I read the book. But Cecilia's name will probably probably be mentioned in other segments to Michael Schumacher's Wreck of the Carl D. Bradley, A True Story of Loss, Survival, and Rescue at Sea. Cecilia's husband, Joe, works as a wheelsman on the Carl D. Bradley. Do any of you all know what a wheelsman does? He is a, um, he is a crew member who steers the ship. Unfortunately, Joe won't be able to be with Cecilia in celebrating her special day. But for Cecilia, this is nothing new, considering they each have birthdays during the shipping season. Shortly before November 18th, Joe already had departed back aboard the Carl D. Bradley, but had time to write to Cecilia. The Bradley had been docked in Cedarville, Michigan, located in the Upper Peninsula, where it would be taking on a load of dolomite, destined southward to a port in Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana, folks, that's uh, the southernmost um, southernmost um, edge of Lake Michigan. You know, Lake Michigan goes as far south, folks, as um, I would say as far south as Chicago, Illinois, and uh, Gary, Indiana, because Chicago and Gary, where Chicago, Illinois, and Gary, Indiana are, they are not far apart from the Illinois-Indiana line. Uh, there are other outlying cities just on the outskirts of Gary are uh, Hammond, Munster, Dyer, Whiting. 
So um, I do. I, the only reason I know of Gary, Indiana, is because I I know that it's an an industrial um, hub, not just for shipping purposes, but an industrial hub for other um, necessary um, economies whom are um, whose businesses are uh, dependent upon um, goods that uh, come in and out of that um, section of uh, Indiana. So Cecilia's husband Joe. Krawcheck. He had been docked in Cedarville, Michigan, and the Bradley would be taking on a load of dolomite destined southward to a port in Gary, Indiana. Joe's letter that he wrote to Cecilia included a weather blurb or a report about what happened in Cedarville, encountering nasty weather that led to difficulties with sailing on the water. So is it fair to say that the Carl D. Bradley encountered perhaps a few rough waves? Is it fair to say that the, that the uh, rough waves might have uh, steered the Bradley off its, uh, off its uh, course to where it had to uh, reshift gears and get back on track somehow? Yes. I mean, you know, boats are not immune to rogue waves, especially these freighters. And if the, it's not just so much the wind, folks, but if the waves are right, and if a boat is, if a boat has reached its age to where it's, it has endured a lot of wear and tear over time and Nothing has been done to fix those problems. Is it fair to say that it's only a matter of time before a boat could be completely destroyed by a wave? Or AKA, AKA a rogue wave? Absolutely. So it, this is another good example right there of where nothing is ever certain. Given that November seems to be the month that has put a curse on men and their, and their uh, vessels, AKA freighters, whom have tried to... Um, go out one last time before shipping season ends, only to either come home alive with a partial crew intact or a crew that um, lost everyone and never got to live to tell the story. The afternoon of Tuesday, November 18, 1958, saw wind speeds from the southwest intensified to where some trees got uprooted. And for some hunters, the weather change alone indicated it was time to, to pack up and return home, as daylight savings had already set in. So in other words, it was getting darker earlier. And if it's getting darker earlier, it's probably time to get on inside. You don't want to be out somewhere and end up and something something ends up happening to where it could be a matter of life and death, especially if you go out on the water at night. It's a crazy thought right there, but I'm sure there are people who have done it. And some people probably did pay with their lives by doing something that they had no business doing. Bob Hine, a Rogers City native, was no stranger to boats along the Great Lakes waters. Prior to getting married, Bob worked a while on the waters, but after getting married, he switched course by working on shore where he had more time at home with the wife and children. 
For Bob Hine, the winds coming from the southwest would wreak havoc along Great Lakes waters, most notably Lakes Huron and Michigan. The presence of whitecaps along the waters posed the greatest threat, which meant that wind was picking up which meant wind was picking up to where 15 miles out on the lake, the waves would become strong enough to roll a large ship onto its side. In other words, pretty much take the ship, roll it on its side to where uh, it could be jerked, and the crew loses control of it. I mean, things like this do happen, folks. You know, rogue waves... And the wind speeds right, yeah, it can. Those things can um, can take a, a freighter off course. George Hine, Bob Hine's dad, would make the following remark, and this is in quotes, folks. Quotation, folks. The guys on the lake are going to get a bouncing around tonight. Some interesting verbiage right there. The guys on the lake are going to get a bouncing around tonight. Is it fair to say that George and Bob Hine knew that perhaps the Carl D. Bradley was out on the water one last time before shipping season ended? Perhaps so. Is it fair to say that perhaps George Hine and his son Bob knew of uh, fellow men whom, uh, worked, whom served and worked on the Carl Bradley? The Carl D. Bradley, that is? Yes. Is it fair to say that George and Bob Hine knew of um, several people in the community who not only worked for Michigan Limestone and Chemical Plant Company, as well as the Bradley Transportation Company? Sure. Is it fair to say that they know the, that the two of them, father and son, know many of the wives whose husbands have sacrificed so much and yet are willing to do one last ride before the season comes to official end. Yes. After all, in Rogers City, everyone knows everyone. It's fair to say that if even if you, you don't work for the Michigan Limestone and Plant Company, you still know someone. And you still know people because everyone somehow does look after one another. As for this uh, quote that George Hines said the guys on the lake are going to get a bumping to get a bouncing around tonight i best uh, i i was able to best go about interpreting this uh, quotation as follows in other words the winds will be so strong that the waves will do about anything to steer freighters off their course and no matter what crewmen try to do in changing course Mother Nature will prevail, even if it means people's lives are lost. All in the name of going out one more time before shipping season ends, prior to celebrating Thanksgiving with family. In other words, getting a bouncing, the guys on the lake, getting a, that will be getting a bouncing around tonight. In other words, there's no guarantee that... that that the crews aboard any ship, most notably the Carl D. Bradley, might even come home alive. What could be starting out as something small has the potential to become drastic at any moment's notice to where people's lives hang in the balance. They hang in the balance of 
you know, of simply knowing, okay, if we hang in the balance, are we going to come home alive or are we going to die? Or will there only be some of us who will survive to live to tell the story? This is a matter of survival of the fittest. After all, folks, not all, not all ship, not all incidents along the waters of the Great Lakes have a safe, or I should say a happy ending. History has reminded the, us that throughout November, and no matter how many years man has been uh, navigating the waters along the Great Lakes, man has found his share of trouble. And not, not saying that man is ignorant. On the other hand, man has been ignorant along the waters, most notably with Titanic, most notably even with Lusitania to name a few of uh, the most prominent of um, shipwrecks that the world has seen. But even along the Great Lakes, it's fair to say that man has been ignorant because he has underestimated what Mother Nature decides to throw at, at crews, big and small, no matter what the curveballs are. Well, this is going to be a, uh, an exciting um, book to discuss. And what I'm, you know, yes, the title alone could not sound exciting enough because it's a true story of loss, survival, and rescue at sea. But it's a, it's a book that, should, uh, that will teach us about life itself, the sacrifices that are made by the men who go above and beyond that navigated these waters. It's not just about being on a ship. It's about the camaraderie that these men built over the years. Many of these men had, had pretty much worked their entire lives on the waters. Some of the men that we will be talking about may not be working directly on the Carl D. Bradley, but have a family member or two who does, or at one time did work on the Carl D. Bradley and went to another ship on the Bradley Transportation Line. So in other words, this is a story where everyone, regardless of whether they served on the Bradley or worked on shore, what happens on the night of November 18, 1958, will change a community's life. It will change the it will change children's lives. It will change families as a whole, it will change their lives as well. We will also be reminded of just how fragile life can be, because life itself, as we all know, can change in the blink of an eye to where whatever we don't have control over can take someone away from us whom we love very dearly. So, I look forward to being back on the air with all of you um, here and soon and hopefully I'll be back on the air in the next couple of days but when I am on the air again next we will be discussing uh, we will um, what's unique about this book is that this that is that Michael Schumacher's uh, the wreck of the Carl D does not have um, it doesn't have like chapters one two three and four however uh, each new section is like a chapter to itself
but when we when I am on but when I'll be on the air again next we will be discussing a little bit more about November 18th 1958 but we will also talk um, not just in the next uh, podcast episode but we will also be uh, discussing other um, elements that um, led up to uh, November 18th 1958 most notably when the ship when the Bradley itself was first constructed and and her success as a ship when she uh, first took um, when she first took to the waters some years earlier. Well, um, thank you again as always for listening. You all are uh, great listeners. I have no doubts that this uh, new series that we will be discussing, uh, the wreck of the Carl D. Bradley: A True Story of Loss, Survival and Rescue at Sea by Michael Schumacher, uh, will be uh, well worth uh, learning about. And for those of you who were with me uh, last year, and I may have said this earlier tonight, and I'll say it again, we discussed one of Michael Schumacher's books last year, uh, being the, uh, the Mighty Fitz, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, Michael Schumacher, I can honestly say, is someone who definitely knows his uh, Great Lakes history, especially when it comes to um, not just the waters themselves, but the ships that uh, navigated the waters and also triumph and tragedy involving ships along these um, bodies of water. After all, it was the Chippewa who said that, that uh, referred um, to Lake Superior as Gitchagumi, meaning the big lake. And Lake Superior was often, and still is referred to this day, according to the Indian legend, Lake Superior never gives up her dead. In other words, no matter what kind of um, task or no matter what kind of mission freighters and their crewmen try to pursue in the month of November, there's no guarantee that Lake Superior, or as the natives Indian, the Native American Indians referred to her as Gitchagumi, that Superior will never give up her dead. And as for, um, and as for the skies turning gloomy in November, that will never change. Nothing is ever certain will ever will ever do the opposite either. Well, thank you again as always, and I look be, look forward to being back on the air again soon um, for some more um, for some more fascinating uh, information behind this um, behind this forgotten story that um, that did um, transform the way a community uh, was altered by loss survival and rescue at sea. Thank you again, as always, for listening, and uh, have a great evening as well as upcoming weekend. Thank you, and stay safe.